So far, we have focused on two questions. The first, what do you want? And secondly, where are they? Today's question is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Jesus asked this question to the invalid man lying beside the pool of Bethesda. Now, as much as this is a story about a healing, it's not really a story about a healing. It's about a whole lot more. And so, we will see today that in God's kingdom, mercy is not intended to be simply understood and taught. It is intended to be demonstrated towards others through the lives of those who have received God's mercy themselves. And so our scripture this morning, John 5, 1 to 15, if you have your Bible, if you have your cell phone app, your iPads, if, if you have a full desktop system there with you, you can bring that up and um, follow along. I would encourage that this morning. Thank you, Mary, for reading it. We won't read it again. Thank you for, for sharing that with us this morning. So we'll start this morning with the context of the scripture. The location of our scripture event today is the city of Jerusalem. Three times a year, male Jews were uh, required to attend festivals or feasts in the city of Jerusalem. They would come from all over. Some would come from even foreign lands to, to make an appearance at these festivals. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost. The timing of this passage is one of these festivals or feasts, even, told, even though we're not told which one in particular it is. What we are told is that Jesus is present in Jerusalem to celebrate this festival or feast. The temple was the focal point of these festivals. There were celebrations, there were sacrifices that were offered, there were large gatherings of people. The, the temple area was just a buzz with Jewish people who had made the pilgrimage. These were moments of unity as Jews from all over gathered in one place for one purpose with one focus. There were, however groups of people who were excluded from the celebration. And these groups were actually outlined in what was called the Mishnah. Now, for simplicity's sake, I'll say that the, Manish, the Mishnah was a type of user manual, if you will. It was prepared by the religious leaders, and its purpose was to serve as a guide for the Jewish people to help them apply the law in everyday life. And so they could go to the, Manish, the Mishnah and they could find the details of how to actually, so as I've said before, okay, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Well, there are 39 laws in the Mishnah that help you understand what that looks like. It was a user manual. It was a, a book of rules and expectations that would help the people to more adequately keep the law of God. Now, according to the Mishnah, the following groups were excluded from the festivals. Deaf-mutes, those with mental disabilities, a minor, persons of doubtful sex, 
women, slaves, those with mobility impairment, blind, sick, and old. They were excluded from the festivals. Now, despite the fact that the festivals were intended to bring all Jews together, there were many that were not included. They were excluded. And so the setting of our story does not take place at the hub or the center of activity in Jerusalem, which was the temple. It actually takes place just down the street near the temple, but not at the temple. In fact, it was at the sheep market, we're told. Now, the sheep market was located in the northwest corner of Jerusalem, and its purpose was to provide animals for people to buy. As these pilgrims came into the city, they wouldn't be bringing their sacrifices all the way with them. They would wait till they got to the city, and once they got there, they would purchase their lamb to bring to the temple to be offered as a sacrifice for themselves, for their family. And so the sheep market was located here as a service where people could purchase sacrifices that were up to standard for for the temple. There's a pool there, and it has five covered porches or colonnades, the pool of Bethesda. Now, this is not just a little body of water. I mean, this, this pool actually is quite large. It was about the size of a football field, so it was pretty big. In fact, it was about 20 feet deep. And the word Bethesda means house of mercy. Now, people with all sorts of infirmities, all sorts of disabilities, were occupying the space around the pool under these covered colonnades on these porches. They were those who would have been excluded from the primary celebration that was just down the street. The scene is passive. People are just lying around, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, those the Mishnah excluded. Likely they're poor because sickness and disability and marginalization went hand in hand with poverty in the culture of this time. And so they were gathered there for one reason, because they believed a popular superstition. The pool itself was likely spring-fed, and from time to time, the water would become agitated from the spring. Those who were gathered at the pool believed that when the waters became agitated, that it was an angel of God, a messenger that God had sent to stir up the water, and those who could get in there before everybody else would be healed of their infirmity. And so this misfit group of people had gathered at this place hoping that their turn might come. They're so helpless that they're reaching for whatever hope might bring help and change for them. That's the context. Action. I love this picture, maybe because... Like in my mind, I just, I don't know. I just have a weird mind. You know that. Suddenly Jesus 
the Lamb of God, that's what he's been referred to all along in John, walks through the sheep market. <laughs> I just can imagine him petting him on the head. It's okay, boys. It's not going to be long. <laughs> and, and you guys aren't going to have to go through this anymore. It's all right. right? It's a bad day, but it's going to get better, right? <laughs> I don't know. That's just how my mind works. Rather than a house of mercy, he walks into a house of misery. Once again, we see Jesus leaving the mainstream areas and going to the marginalized, the rejected, those who are deemed worthless, who need mercy. And once there, his focus hones in on a man who is an invalid, who is lying, who is laying on his mat. And we're told that Jesus discovered that he had been in this condition for a very long time. In fact, he had been like this for 38 years. And so Jesus initiated conversation with him in the form of a question. And the question is our question for today. Do you want to get well? What kind of question is that? Like, really? Of course he wants to get well. No, it's been 38 years. I just love being an invalid. Of course I want to be well. Why else would he be there if he didn't want to be well? But Jesus asked this question to set up what he's about to do, which was heal the man. Restore his health. Allow him to be able to go back to work, back to family, back to faith. And so the man explained to Jesus, he says, well, yes, I want to be well, but I don't have anyone who will put me in the water when the angel of God agitates the water. He said, I don't have the ability to help myself. Now, if you ask me, this is a lame excuse, Okay, that's the last one. But some of you missed that one. That's my last dad joke of the morning. He didn't have the ability to help himself. He needed the assistance of someone else, but all those around him were in as bad or worse situation as him. They weren't living there in unity. Oh, no, no, you go first. It's okay. Oh, no, it's every person for themselves. The water becomes agitated, and it's like whatever it takes to get in there, I'm getting in there. The man didn't even know who Jesus was. Now, when I look at this, it's really interesting. There was no faith demonstrated up to this point. None. He wasn't aware of the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. There's no request made of Jesus. Not like some, oh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. No. No request. He didn't ask for anything. He didn't initiate the conversation. Jesus did. He's not asking for anything. The initiation came from Jesus. And then Jesus asked him to do the impossible. He says, get up. Get up. I know you've been on the ground for 38 years, but get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And it says, without hesitation, the man miraculously stood up, picked up his mat, and walked. 
the invalid was healed. Notice Jesus didn't help him get to the water. He just spoke and said, get up. And in that moment, Jesus turned the house of misery into a house of mercy, true to its namesake, because he changed the man's life. Response. Well, one would think that with such an impressive, life-changing miracle, that nothing but celebration and excitement would follow. Wow, what a miracle. That's incredible. Can you believe it? But sadly, that was not the case. It was the Sabbath when the miracle took place. And the man passed by a group of Jews while carrying his mat. (laughs) Oh, what a beautiful picture. The mat That was the symbol of his disability. The mat that once supported him is now being carried by him. The mat no longer symbolized the man's disability. It now symbolized a miracle. Now, we need to understand that in John's gospel, when he refers to, quote, the Jews, and we saw that in our first question, there were some Jews from Jerusalem who had questions. This is terminology that John uses to refer to those in the Jewish religious establishment that rejected Jesus' ministry and were ultimately, in the end, responsible for his death. And so he uses this term, the Jews. In the user manual, The Mishnah stated that one could not move an object from one domain to another on the Sabbath. It was somewhere in the 39 helpful rules. Rather than focusing on the miracle in the man's life, that a man who had been an invalid for 38 years was now walking, they focused instead on the law that was broken as the man carried his mat. And they looked at him and said, the law forbids that you carry your mat on the Sabbath. The man replied, I'm just doing what I was told to do by the man who made me well, the man who healed me, the man who gave me my life back. And they said, who told you? to pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath. Who who told you? And surprisingly, still, the man has no idea who it is. I don't know who he is. And it says, by then, Jesus has slipped away. So the man couldn't even say, well, I don't know who it is, but it's that guy over there. Jesus is gone. He can't even point to someone. Now, the story doesn't end here. It says that Jesus found the man at the temple. The word found means to search out someone until you're able to find them. So he, he deliberately, intentionally sought the man out. They didn't just by chance bump into each other at the busy temple who thought, hey, it's you. Yeah, whoa. Who would have thought? 
What a coincidence. No. He sought him out. Why? Because there's unfinished business. Jesus is not done yet. The man had confessed Jesus as his healer, but up until this moment, he has not confessed him as his Lord and Savior. And Jesus said to him, See, you're physically well. Look at you. You look great. You're walking. You've had a miracle. Look at you. But you need to stop sinning or the outcome of that is going to be much more severe than any disability that you ever had. Now, again, it's important to understand when you read John's gospel, that in John's gospel, when he talks about sin, John understands sin as a failure to recognize and believe in Jesus. Anybody who would not recognize and believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as the incarnate Son of God, of who Jesus said he was, anyone who would not believe that was living in sin. Because healing and miracles that do not lead to recognizing the healer, to recognizing the miracle worker, and believing in him, him being Jesus, that miracle is just incomplete. It's just small in comparison. It's the most significant of the miracles. And so they had this conversation, and then we're told that from there, the man went to the Jews and said, I know who it is. It was Jesus who made me well. Now, what's interesting in this story, I believe, is that those who claimed to have experienced the mercy of God, those who were called to demonstrate the mercy of God, were more concerned with their laws than they were with the person that Jesus healed. That's the point of this story. That's the point of this story. So, or so what? As we consider this passage today, we observe two opposing approaches to God's mercy. For the religious leaders, mercy was something they understood from Scripture. They could explain it. They could talk about it. It's something they taught to others in Scripture. They, they informed and taught other people about mercy. It was something that they obviously believed that they themselves had received in their own lives. They thought they were on the right side of the mercy of God. Yet they had difficulty demonstrating it towards others who desperately needed it. Now Jesus, on the other hand, not only understood mercy, not only taught about mercy in his ministry as he explained the kingdom of God, but he showed mercy. He demonstrated mercy to those who needed it. And I believe these two opposing approaches to God's mercy in our passage impacts two important areas of kingdom living. 
The first is mission. The sad irony in this story, and I got to tell you, it's a sad irony. You know, once in a while, when I'm writing a sermon, the truth of the passage is so impacting that I'm sitting there alone, weeping about what I'm writing. Once in a while. Because it's so impacting. The sad irony of this was one of those experiences for me this week. The sad irony in this story it is, is, is that it's not the temple. It's not the symbol of Israel's spirituality that was considered the house of mercy by those who were broken and marginalized and rejected. It was a pool that was associated with popular superstitions that offered them the faintest of hope because the religious system had failed. It had created in a spiritual environment that Jesus said placed burdens on the people, people that were too heavy to bear. It made them like sheep without a shepherd with nobody to care about them. Man-made spiritual expectation determined who was valuable, who was worthy, who mattered. And the result is that people who should have found mercy at the place that represented God's presence with his people were instead looking elsewhere. And they were out of sight and they were out of mind and they were not making the religious establishment uncomfortable. While they were ignored by a religious establishment that had lost sight of the mission of God, they are sought out by Jesus who's living out the mission of God. If that is not the most incredible, beautiful picture that we could ever see, that a religious establishment that is broken and fallen is missing these people, and Jesus steps outside of it and says, guys, I need to go for a little walk down the street. I'm on a mission. The focus of the ministry of Jesus was the margins. Those who were rejected, those who were broken, those who were ignored, those who were despised, those who were lost. Jesus pursued the very people that the religious establishment went out of their way to not only avoid, but write in a document that they should be excluded. May I suggest this morning that as followers of Jesus, who are called by Jesus, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry on his mission, Jesus, may I suggest this morning that we too must minister to the rejected, the broken, the ignored, the despised, and the lost. It is our mission 
to walk into the misery of our culture and the misery of our world and bring hope. That is our mission. And if the mission of Jesus is confined to what happens in this building or any other church building in the world, if the mission of Jesus is confined to what happens in this building, then we will never reach the people Jesus came to reach. That was a really good place for an amen. It's too late. Our mission is not confined to this place. Our mission is not confined to the activities of this place. Our mission is out there every day with those who are suicidal, those who are experiencing mental health crises, those who are confused about their very identity and their humanity. Those who are trying to numb their pain with drugs and alcohol and sexual promiscuity. Those who are trapped in human trafficking. Those who are trapped in poverty. Those who are experiencing broken relationships. That's where our mission is. If we're not living out that mission in our lives, hear me. If we are not living out that mission in our lives, we are no better, no better than the religious establishment of Jesus' day, who understood mercy, who taught about mercy, who sang about mercy, who who preached about mercy, who received mercy in their own lives, but didn't take the time and the opportunity to share it with others. If we don't do it, we are no better than them. No better than them. Secondly, priority. I know you're really happy to have me back. The religious establishment in Jesus' time was so focused on protecting their values, of making rules to keep everybody in line, of having what they believed to be the right answer to every question. They believed they had the answer to every question and every circumstance that might arise. And in the process, they missed the very heart of God. To look at a man who had been an invalid for 38 years, now healed and walking around and restored, and not be able to celebrate the miracle because he was carrying his mat on the Sabbath, is to demonstrate that they clearly did not understand the priority of the kingdom of God. The priority of the kingdom of God is people. It's people, not arguments, not debates, not opinions, not rules, not even preferences. People. Jesus clearly didn't care that was, was the Sabbath. In fact, Jesus and I are pretty tight. I have a hunch he did it on purpose. I think he did it on purpose. I'm not going there on Sunday. I'm going Saturday. 
I'm going to mess with this so much. I'm doing this on purpose. I think he would. He didn't care that it was the Sabbath. He didn't care about the rules. All he cared about was that there's a man that he came to save. A person. Sometimes I'm convicted in myself. And on behalf, I can speak from the church in North America. That we the church have deemed what we the church have deemed to be important over these many years and what Jesus deems to be important are not always the same thing. In many places for many years, I believe the church has been preoccupied with things that we desire, our preferences, what we have established and deemed to be important. And in the meantime, just in the shadows of our steeples, the priority of of Jesus, which is people, have been ignored. I want you to know this morning, Jesus doesn't care if we sing hymns or choruses. He doesn't care if the songs are old or if they were just published. He doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if we sit on chairs or if it's pews. He doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if we drink coffee in the sanctuary. He doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if we wear suits and dresses or we wear shorts and t-shirts or jeans. He doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if the AC is too cold today. And he doesn't care if the heat is too hot today. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if the morons in the sound booth, not this morning, they're good guys, but the usual ones, have the volume up too high. You care, but Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care. Jesus doesn't care if you like the sermon. He doesn't. It's not even a priority for him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if your favorite worship leader led your favorite songs. He doesn't care. Now, take the name Jesus and substitute it with pastor, and I'll save about five minutes of preaching. Jesus cares that the broken are healed. Jesus cares that the lost are found. Jesus cares that the forgotten are remembered. He cares that the marginalized are sought out. He cares that the hungry are fed and the homeless have roofs over their heads. He's concerned and cares that captives be set free. He cares that those who are rejected are offered mercy. He cares that girls as young as 12 are being rescued out of human trafficking in this area of Canada that is the highest in the country. He cares. He cares. Because all that matters in the end is people and whether or not they believe in Jesus. That's all that matters in the end. That is the priority. And sometimes we miss celebrating the miracle because we're staring at the mat. We miss the miracle 
but we see the mat. I've stopped caring about having all the answers, but it used to be important to me. Because sometimes we can win an argument and lose a person. Jesus didn't call me to win arguments. He called me to win people. Truth is, we can have all the right answers and never ask the right questions. Now that's deep and you're going to need to think about that. Sometimes we can have all the answers. In fact, I would say sometimes we're answering questions that nobody's asking. Followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God are question askers. Yes, I just made that up. That's a new term. Followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God are question askers. We ask questions. Questions like, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Because that is the priority of the kingdom. I'm going to invite our worship team back. And I want you to know how hard I worked this week to be really nice today. I want you to appreciate that. That I didn't say some of the things I wanted to say. Folks, in God's kingdom, mercy is not intended to be simply understood and taught, but it is intended to be demonstrated towards others through the lives of those of us who've received God's mercy ourselves. In fact, Jesus makes it clear, those who are unable to love and show mercy and forgiveness, it's because truthfully, they really haven't experienced it themselves because if they did, they'd have no trouble doing it. We've been called because we've received to whom much is given, much is required. And when that happens, Jesus' mission and kingdom priority remain the focus of our lives.